Today's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. This is God's word. Thank you so much for reading God's word for us this morning. By the way, I'm bringing up my phone up, uh, not because I want to check my status, but because the clock that the pastor sees is not working. It is, or is it working again? Oh, it's working again. I don't need my phone. Uh, This, I realize, is a, a challenging passage of scripture. Uh, And before we get into it, I would just like to say that Sherry and I have a friend here today. Uh, Linda Yang was born in China but raised in Vancouver. She actually is a member of our former church there. Uh, She left her law practice in Vancouver about three years ago. She has her doctorate in jurisprudence but left her law practice in Vancouver to join the International Justice Mission, which is the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. Since 1997, they have seen the release of 40,000 human slaves. Do Do you know that slavery is still an issue in the 21st century? They've also worked to see the arrest of 4,000 slave owners and sexual predators. This is an important ministry. Uh, If you would like to know more about it, she is now living in Cebu in the Philippines in the office there and is assisting national lawyers in the Philippines in this work and also bringing the gospel with her. If you would like to know more about it, she's going to be downstairs on level three. She's got a little booth there. She'd be happy to share with you about her ministry. Now, let's get to this. I have to say to you that this is one of the reasons that from the very beginning, my first weekend here in Singapore, we have been working specifically to develop a transition of leadership. Not because I don't want to be here, but because there are some topics in Scripture that it would just be way better if you were hearing from a national. 
And this is probably going to be one of them. And the reason is, uh, <clears throat> let me just be honest. When I was 17, uh, I was marching in downtown Vancouver with 10,000 other people protesting the privatization of automobile insurance when I wasn't even yet paying for any automobile insurance. I come from a culture of free speech and protest, and as soon as I knew how, I was going to do it. At 17, I was going door to door recruiting voters for the New Democratic Party in Canada. There's, there's an election in Canada this week. I, 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 I'm not, sorry, Linda, are you here? I don't want to acknowledge in front of another Canadian I'm not voting this year. I, I come from that culture, and so I, I have this fear that a good many of you are going to just assume that when I look at this text, I'm going to filter it through my culture, and whatever I say about this text is going to be refracted truth, almost truth, which, you know what almost truth is? It's, it's heresy. But more than that, I have this feeling that if you agree with everything I say today, then your thoughts are like God's thoughts, because I have an obligation not to my culture, my tradition, my background, but just to the text. So I confess to you that uh, during six years of my parenting life, I was an absent father. I mean, not to give any excuses, but I was teaching full-time at a Bible school at a Baptist seminary, and I was also pastoring full-time at a church in another city. So it's not a good excuse, but I was just busy. And in spite of all that I was doing every day, all day long, I would come home and still have to deal with this long list of requests from our three boys, requests like, hey, can I have a friend over tomorrow night? Or, or, you know, can I stay out late on Friday? Or can we put up our brother for adoption? Requests like that. <laughs> and, and whatever request it was, I would always have the very same answer. You know what my answer was? What did your mother say? <laughs> Every single time. What did your mother say? I remember one Easter morning, I was in my office really stressed out because you, you know how this works, right? This message is very, very fresh. So Easter morning, I was still into the last point of my message, and our second son comes walking in, and he says, Dad, can I go to church in these shoes? And I looked down, and he was wearing Crocs. So I said, what did your mother say? He said, Ugh. she said I had to wear my church shoes. So I said, do what you're told. He threw his hands up in the air, flung them like he was trying to shake off his hands and says, why does mom always have to be the boss? <laughs> and I said, she doesn't always have to be the boss, but you always have to learn how to live under authority. So for those of you who are young parents, I just happen to be turning this way right now. You don't necessarily need to take my coaching help, but I had a very, very low bar for parenting. My goal was just to keep them out of prison. Because, hey, there's some Crocs right there. Now, this is not my son. This just happened to be a picture of a guy wearing Crocs and an ankle bracelet. 
And, and I'm saying this because in those days, in our town, in our church, there was other parents who had a different bar. Maybe they thought it was a higher bar than keep them out of prison because their bar is don't let my children be disappointed. Don't let them be hurt. Don't let them be challenged. Mine was just let them learn to live under authority because that is life. So here's our first point, living under authority. And you obviously see this is going to be a controversial message. You have my culture on one side, and then you have another on another. And then we have the culture of God's Word. And here is where God's Word is going to take us this morning. All authority exists by God's sovereign purpose. So verses 1, just let, let's just look at this one step at a time. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. First question is, uh, who has to be subject? Every person. Not a few people. Not, not if the government is doing what you like. But every person needs to be subject to the governing authorities. All of us, people, were to be under authority. To what? To the governing authorities. This has extraordinary implications for us. In, in other words, God has established authority under which we are intentionally to place ourselves. That word subject means to place yourself under. Now, the problem I have and the problem you have because you're Baptist is we learned priesthood of the believer, that Baptist distinction, through the filter of democracy. That's the culture I come from. Free speech and democracy. In fact, many of our governments have this ambition to push Western-style democracy and West, throughout the world and Western-style voting throughout the church world. You see, what democracy informs me is I, I'm actually the boss. And so when I vote, I'm actually voting a protest against those who I don't like who are in authority over me because they're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me. Do you hear that? That's how I was raised. And then I come to God's word, which is not my word. His ways are not my ways as far as the heavens are above Canada. So are God's ways above mine. And his ways are, Ian, be subject to the governing authorities. This has reference to the way I respond to governments when they wage war and make peace. It references democracy and dictators. It has relevance even, yes, to protesters. It has very real implications in my life, whether or not I wear my seatbelt whether or not parents will use a car seat, whether or not I try and sneak across the causeway with less than three-quarters of a tank of petrol. We are called by God to live under authority. And what that means for me is this. Even though I am living and working in Singapore on a Canadian passport, God expects me to joyfully Submit to the authorities of this nation. 
That means even though I'm a citizen of heaven, the King of Kings expects me to joyfully submit to that tiny little NEA lady who comes to my flat with her iPad to check on standing water. I joyfully submit. Welcome her in. Let her check. Honestly, that was a cultural shift for me because we put pans under a pot so water doesn't leak everywhere. I got a warning. Pans have to be upside down. It's counterintuitive to me. Then it spills water all over my floor. And then I joyfully submit because that's the calling of God on my life. Back to verse, sorry, verse 2. Why do we submit? For there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. There is no authority but that which God has put in place. It's not like when Lee Kuan Yew became prime minister, God suddenly went, oh, I didn't see that coming. No, God established him for this very purpose. It's not just my idea. It's in Scripture. Every prime minister, every dictator, every potentate has been established by God. And that's why the Lord God, speaking to Ramesses II, the most powerful military leader in the world, said, I raised you up. That's why he spoke of the great pagan king, Cyrus, and said, Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And that's why he says to every leader, every prime minister and president, every dictator and despot, I have established you. Authority is a struggle for us, right? That is why the apostle is writing this note it seems odd, right? This is at the apex of Paul's edict on how to live in light of God's mercies. How do we behave in light of Romans 1 and 2? Remember Eugene last week and the map, Romans 1 and 2. By the mercies of God, now we are to behave in this way. But I can't because it's not in my nature, it's not in my culture. So Christ, the King of kings, empowers me to place myself intentionally beneath authority. I believe there's probably just one person in this building who knows who this is. This is Abraham Kuyper, who is a pastor, a theologian, a publisher, and a politician. In 1874, he became a member of the Dutch parliament. And then in 1901, he became Prime Minister of the Netherlands. He was a member of the political elite. He was a man of authority. And yet, in his inaugural speech, hear what this Prime Minister said. There is not one square inch in the entire domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. This legislative body, Christ cries, mine. This prime minister, Christ calls, mine. Why? 
Because Matthew 18, Jesus says, all authority on earth and in the heavens has been granted to me. No authority exists outside of God's intentional establishing that authority. And all I'm worried about is, oh, I don't want to be damaged by anybody. I, I want that parent who protects me from getting my feelings hurt when I want to go faster than 90 kilometers per hour. When I'm likely to be late, and if not for this oppressive government that makes me limit my speed to 90 kilometers, I would be on time and be able to do what I want to. And Jesus says, joyfully, place yourself under authority. The second thing we're going to look at is authority exists by God's sovereign purpose. Now, can I just mention the elephant in the room? Can you assume that I'm aware of what's happening in Hong Kong? Can, can you assume that I know that Christians are involved in this protest movement? Bless them, but this is the word of the Lord. And, and that's why if you've been at this church a while, you've heard me say, honestly, this pastor doesn't always like to read his Bible because God doesn't always agree with this pastor. This is the word of the Lord. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, there's a double entendre here. He's not just saying you risk judgment of the local authorities on this little piece of geography on planet Earth. You're saying you risk judgment of the one who placed that authority there. Just risk that. Because all authority belongs to God. But secondly, this authority exists for our good. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Okay, I've got to stop for a moment and, and, and say this. I made a mistake two weeks ago. I was at a meeting, and there were several expats there, and one of, one of the guys had just been in Singapore for about three weeks, and I made the mistake of asking him, so how do you find Singapore? And it was a mistake because he looked at me and assumed that I would be a safe space to, to vent a little bit. So he said, oh, Singapore is so big brother, man. There's cameras everywhere, people always watching you. And, and so I just felt obligated to say, so, so you're hoping to slide in a drug deal? Is that, is that why, you, why? Why so upset? <laughs> and, and, and this is exactly what Paul is doing. Assume somebody's looking. Let your behaviors be a platform for the gospel. Do what is good, and you'll receive approval, for he is God's servant for your good. And so I'm going to say something to you Singaporeans too, because you complain too much. Well, I, I think part of the problem is when you, when you say, Pastor, we're going for a holiday, you go to Iceland. Go to JB. Right? Drive around there for a minute. 
and, and then complain about things in Singapore. Go, go to Indonesia. Joyfully submit. Because authorities here work for your good. That are servants of God who loves you. So, just saying, I felt like I needed to research this. Because as I read this text, it became clear to me that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was saying to first century believers, protest of local authorities is not something that the King of Kings sanctions for his children. And so I looked at history, just in case, even though Paul said that, there might be some Christian tradition of protest. And I couldn't find any. Yes, I found two that were called Christian protests. There was the Shimabara Rebellion in 17th century Japan. And if you've seen that heartbreaking movie called Silence, the context is that rebellion. But in actual fact, that was a peasant rebellion. There's also the Taiping Rebellion, right, in 19th century China that's often called a Christian rebellion. But the leader of that rebellion called himself what? He called himself the King of Heaven. That's a guaranteed cult leader. That was not a Christian rebellion. I can find no biblical or historic tradition of Christian protest in spite of the fact that no other followers of any other religion has suffered more loss than the followers of Christ. And yet God said, these authorities are God's servants for your good. And can I just be clear about the government that Paul was writing about? He was not writing about a people of the, or a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Which, by the way, that was John Wycliffe who first wrote that, not Abraham Lincoln. He was not writing about a democratically elected government. He was writing about the despotic Caesar who declared himself a living Lord God, who made decisions that ended up in the slaughter of thousands of believers. About this man, the Apostle Paul wrote, about the government that had him arrested multiple times, had him stoned, had him jailed, and had him executed, the Apostle Paul wrote, this government is for your good. You see how far above my thoughts are God's thoughts. Paul's not saying God exists so you're comfortable. He's not saying authorities exist so you have your way all the time, so that you're happy all the time. God's saying, learn to live under authority because I am the ultimate authority and in trusting me in this, you grow Christ in you and build your faith. I keep hitting the wrong button. This is why a German philosopher and social activist named Karl Marx despised Christianity. 
Because when he looked at global oppression and how many authorities in that day, in his day, were Christian rulers, he didn't see Christians standing up for justice. And that is why he wrote, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature. It is the opium of the people. He wrote that because when Christians were faced with incredible oppression, they stood up and died. So his only assumption is, are they in some drug-induced stupor that their eyes aren't open, that they're not taking up arms in violent revolution. Because Karl Marx did not know why it was that God demands that we live under authority. Finally, authority exists for this reason, for God's glory. We submit, first of all, not because we fear Nero or Cyrus or Ramesses II. We submit because we fear God. Paul wrote about Nero. He is the servant of God, the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Do you think that death is the discipline of God there's a reason in the African-American church in America they call death promotion. It is not great loss to lose this tent about which the Apostle Paul says, in it I moan and groan, longing for the better thing to be united with Christ. It is not a worse thing to leave the things of this world behind. God allows his people to suffer, and in doing so, he gently tugs at the roots of Ian that grow deep into the soil of this earth. Just so I would begin to long for better things, for greater things, leaders, these leaders, are established by God, not for their own justice, not for their own glory, but for God's justice and for his glory. Verse 5 says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. This was what Jesus was referring to in Matthew chapter 10 when he said to his disciples, Why do you fear the one who can kill the body? Instead, fear the one who can kill the body and the soul in hell. We subject ourselves out of fear for God. And I find this word conscience fascinating. It's a word that's not easily translated in English. It would take a paragraph to translate. So if you know anybody who suffers with ADHD, actually, if you love someone who has ADHD, then you're the one who's suffering because one symptom of people with ADHD is we speak before we think it through. We, we act before we realize, well, this action might have some consequences. I post on Facebook because it entertains me. Often, 
People with ADHD cannot discern, cannot connect the dots between behaviors and actions and the consequences, how people respond to my behaviors and actions. And so when I was younger, I remember being constantly confused. Why am I always getting in trouble? And my conclusion, teacher's not fair. The principal doesn't like me, always makes me sit in his office. My form teacher made me sit in my desk out in the hallway. Yeah, doesn't like me, not fair at all. You, you see that word conscious? In Greek, it literally means able to connect the dot between behavior and consequence. Live joyfully under the authority that God has placed over us with your eye on the consequences. Not just the consequences in my life here, but eternal consequences. Our fear is not because of any earthly authority. It's understanding there are eternal consequences for developing in me a heart for protest and rebellion, for reminding myself all the time I'm really the one who should be in charge of my life. There are consequences for that. Secondly, we submit as a part of our reasonable worship. Verses 6 and 7 says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I'm going to nail every one of us because it's not just about the government. It's about employers. It's about how we relate to authority that God has placed in our own church. Pay honor to whom honor is owed. Wages to whom wages is owed. Respect to whom is owed. Pay to all what is owed to them. I wonder if you rem remember in Mark, Mark's gospel, some Pharisees were looking for a way to charge Jesus with a Roman crime. They were offended by him because of religious crimes, because he acted like God and dared to declare forgiveness of sins when only God can forgive sins. He acted as if he was related to God. They were offended by religious crimes but sought to trap him with a Roman crime. So they sent Herodians to him in Mark chapter 10. Herodians were the political arm of the Pharisaical party. They were the royal whisperers. They would go to the puppet king Herod and tell him all that's happening in the temple in the, in the religious court of the Sanhedrin. These men went to Jesus and they initially began to lavish him with false praise. They said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you don't care about other people's opinions. You just teach what is right. You're not swayed by politics. You truly teach the way of God. So, should we pay taxes to this occupying foreign government? 
or not. And Jesus asked for a coin, which first of all tells you something. He didn't have coin. They found him a denarius, a silver coin, a Roman coin, and Jesus took it in his hand and he said, whose image is this? And they said, Caesar's. And that is when Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You know who made these amazing roads? The tunnel that goes right underneath Singapore so I can get to my CG and Pongo in just 20 minutes? Your government did. Render to them what belongs to them. Do you know that this is one of the safest nations on the planet with one of the highest standards of living anywhere in the world? How did that come to us? Render to Singapore what is Singapore. We have some of the best healthcare in the world. If you're Singaporean or, or PR, you have access to affordable housing. Render to Singapore what is Singapore. But whose image is on me? Who died so that I could live? Who became the sin that I am so that I might become the righteousness of God? Render to God what is God's. I can imagine that on the day this was read out to the Roman church, not everyone in the congregation was happy. Some were Jewish believers who had been kicked out of Rome by the Caesar and only now had begun to trickle back into the church and into Rome. Some were not even Jews, they were Gentiles who gave up the gods of their ancestors, were ostracized by their family and every authority in their community to follow this Christ. I imagine some of them weren't so happy about honor Nero Give him respect because he's a servant of God for your good and for God's glory. I imagine some of them weren't so happy. So I'm guessing then that a year later, when they heard that their pastor Paul was in prison, some of them felt a little bit smug. Might have been gathering in their small fellowship groups. I wonder how he is now. Mr. High and Mighty Spiritual. God showed you, right? The judgment and discipline of God, right? Well, let me just give a little advert. The men and women of grace have been meeting Wednesday night studying the book of Philippians, which the Apostle Paul wrote one year after this Roman letter while sitting in a Roman prison. Rembrandt kind of envisioned him this way which, you know, is not accurate, but highly symbolic. I guarantee you, Paul didn't have a sword in prison. <laughs> the sword is symbolic of the nature by which he would be executed. And, and I don't know about you, but he looks a bit like he has dementia in this. <laughs> like he's like, whoa, wow, what, how did I get here? And what's my name? 
He also wasn't writing his own letters. He was chained to a member of the Imperial, Imperial Guard, and a Christian sister or brother was, dic- was writing while he dictated. But it's not that the situation was different. It's that his perspective was different. Because while he sat in that prison cell, chained to a member of the imperial guard, this is what he dictated in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. for his good because he was called for this very thing. He drew breath not to order prata but to share the gospel. And because of that prison or a nice flat on the Mediterranean made no difference. It was just a different location to live on purpose for my good and for God's glory. My mother, before she was my mother, in 1949, heard the gospel in downtown Vancouver for the first time in her life, shared by a Southern Baptist missionary that went up to Vancouver from Washington State. In 1949, Southern Baptist missionaries were in less than 20 countries. And then in 1949, they were slaughtered or kicked out of their biggest mission field. Those who managed to get out changed their field of service. And so Baptist work began in 1949 in Taiwan, in Thailand, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Taiwan. And two of those missionaries, Dorcas Lau and Miss Laura Clement, came to this island. And we are a result of the ministry, hear me, of Mao Zedong. because he had no authority but that which Christ gave him for our good, for God's glory. Today, Southern Baptist missionaries are in 97 different countries sharing the gospel among 387 different people groups. You know the difference between 62-year-old Ian and the 17-year-old Ian. The difference is when I was 17, I loved low insurance rates more than I loved the gospel. The difference is I loved the idea as a 17-year-old of getting my man in as prime minister rather than getting Jesus in as my king. So this morning, as we come to this time of reflection, I 
I just want to ask you this reflection question again. Is submission to authority, is it a part of my worship? Is it obvious in my life? Or are there things that I love more? Do I love my personal conviction more? Do I love the sense that I'm the boss of me more? Do I love my culture, my traditions more? Or would I say, all to Jesus I surrender? All to him I'm free to give. I intentionally today place myself joyfully underneath all authority, full of the confidence that they have nothing but that which has been given to them by the King of kings, the sovereign Lord of all creation, the one to whom I must one day answer. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I sincerely hope that you did not hear me being judgmental about anyone protesting. All I am trying to communicate is God's word has a higher command for us, a command that cannot be faithfully followed if Christ does not work in us. Can you imagine the God who made wood joyfully surrendered his body to a cross? The one who spoke metal, iron ore into existence joyfully surrendered his wrists to the nails. The king of all creation bowed his head in front of mocking Roman soldiers. And that same king invites me in this moment and in this place to joyfully live in submission to pay what is owed for my good and for his glory. I wonder if here this morning God has stirred up in anything in you that would suggest you, just like me, need to turn afresh to him. That you need to reorder your convictions, your persuasions, your traditions, the thing you most desire. Is it advancement of the gospel or is it something else? Would you at this quiet and holy moment, would you dare let your heart offer to God, show me, O oh Lord, anything in me that is unworthy of the gospel. Take it and consume it so I might know the true ironic liberty 
of submitting to every and all authority for the sake of my good and your glory. In this moment, even if you don't really know how to pray, he loves you so much. His spirit will intervene and intercept your heart cry and bring it before the King of glory with groanings too deep for your words, your dialect, your language. He does that for our sake. Father God, every once in a while, your word interrupts us and disturbs us. Suddenly we are made freshly aware of how easy it is to wander away from your counsel, to look at things with our logical human perspective, to grieve over things that are not worthy and to forget things that are necessary. God, we, we bless you for this country that allows us the freedom to gather around your word, for the peace that we enjoy in this nation. We celebrate this knowing it is good for the gospel. So God, I pray that you would respond to the prayers of your people as only you can. Give us the joy of turning back afresh to you, to sensing your embrace. May you find us always to be the people who will joyfully place ourselves beneath your authority in all those you have established. Do this so that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.